Welcome to the analysis.news. I'm your guest host, Greg Wilpert. On Sunday, February 7th, Ecuador held a presidential election in which leftist candidate Andres Arauz led the election result with 33% of the vote. Arauz is the standard bearer of the Citizens' Revolution movement that former leftist President Rafael Correa launched in 2007. Arauz's nearest challenger was the conservative banker and one of Ecuador's wealthiest individuals, Guillermo Lasso, who won about 20% of the vote. And, surprisingly, the third candidate was Jaco Perez of the Pachacutic Indigenous Party, which also nearly got 20% of the vote. Now, it looks like there will be a runoff election between Arauz and Lasso on April 11th. I say that it looks like uh, that way because there have been several concerted efforts, including from international actors, to derail the runoff election in order to prevent Arauz from winning the presidency in April. Joining me now to discuss the situation in Ecuador is Joe Emmersberger. Joe writes regularly on Latin America, particularly on Ecuador and Venezuela, for a wide variety of outlets such as Counterpunch, Fair, and ZNet, among others. Thanks for joining me today, Joe. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate you having me. So I should add that we both have a bit of a history with regard to Ecuador. I lived there for nearly five years from 2014 to 2018, while I was working first for Telesur English and then for the Real News Network. And you, Joe, have been have a family background in Ecuador, uh, even though you're Canadian. Uh, both your wife and your mom are Ecuadorian, right? Yes, I've been back and forth to Ecuador all my life uh, since I was a little boy. So um, I don't want to start with um, this article that you recently published uh, for an article. Uh, I mean, an article that you recently published for the Media Watch Group uh, Fair, where you pointed out many of the distortions in the U.S. media with regard to Ecuador. Um, so let's start with how they, that is the U.S. media, has tended to characterize the presidencies of uh, Rafael Correa and his uh, successor, the current president, Lenin Moreno, that is first how would you say um, are the two usually depicted and what is wrong with their depiction? Okay, well, Correa, um, I should say, was depicted basically as authoritarian and especially he especially got wrapped for having a poor record on press freedom uh, because he had a very contentious relationship with the press. I mean, that's, that's, that's certainly true. Uh, but he was uh, depicted as basically clamping down and... and uh, uh, on press freedom, uh, basically Ecuador had a it was, it was basically a very dangerous or uh, a difficult place to be critical of Correa's government, which was a, I mean, a total total falsehood. Um, mind you, there were some things. Uh, it, there, I mean, there are things you could criticize about uh, Correa's government on, on that along that lines. For instance, the fact that libel is part of the criminal code, things like that. But there's, I mean, like any country, there are definitely things you could criticize, but no more. I mean, I would say just the the press. That Correa got was was very bad. The private media was constantly against him, and he answered back through the through the public media. And there was a, basically an ongoing battle basically going on. Uh, but what happened when Moreno uh, won the presidency in 2017, uh, basically deceiving voters that he was going to be a, the continuation of uh, the citizens' revolution of Correa, maybe with a you know somewhat different style or whatever, but basically a continuation. Uh, that was a total uh, fraudulent campaign because he. When he took over, within within weeks, uh, really, it was clear that the uh, Guillermo Lasso, the bank, the right wing banker who ran in 2017, he might as well have won. 
uh, he implemented his whole program. Basically, Moreno became the worst enemy of Correa and everything he represented. I mean, it was just a total transformation. And as soon as he did that, what Moreno did was he basically had public media basically start echoing the same line as the private media, the same basic lines that the private media always had. So immediately over, overnight, you had uh, basically a media monoculture that demonized Correa. And this, this facilitated uh, the arrests of many of his key people. Uh, Jorge Glass, before long, is, uh, the elected vice president was, was imprisoned uh, throughout uh, Moreno's time in office, uh, uh, Correa's like the governor of um, of Pichincha province, uh, Paola Pavon. She was thrown in jail. Uh, the the uh, assemblywoman uh, Gabriela uh, Revandeneira was, was would have been in jail, but uh, like her, like other assembly people, they were uh, basically fled into exile. Ricardo Patino, all these top people who are with Correa, they suddenly they're they're like uh, they're treated like criminals throughout the whole uh, big media establishment in Ecuador, and. Uh, you know that uh so but that was in the in the in the western media it was the other way around uh moreno immediately as soon as it was it was clear that he was going to become this right-wing president that he never presented himself as in 2017 on the campaign trail as soon as that became clear um all this repression and all all, all his hypocrisy and all his light was just depicted as him being more tolerant and oh there's it's like a breath as far as the media was concerned this was wonderful and he got a lot of uh, you know a nice write up right away from the Washington Post editors wrote an editorial about him uh, praising him as a big Democrat. Uh, this uh, Human Rights Watch was extremely flattering towards him for years. Now now they've kind of been quiet quiet about him. They haven't really said anything, but much of anything. But uh, that's that's what it was a big transformation. So it was a day and night transformation. And um, with the election, for example, when uh, a key point that you never see anywhere, and I wrote about this in the article, is that. You know, when there was this, when there was this obvious break, all of a sudden, when Moreno uh, turned completely against uh, Correa and everything that he represented, what he did, um, he seized control of Alianza País, uh, the, the party that uh, Correa had founded, and because he was able to do that, and so therefore, you know, Correa and his his people, they will say, okay, now we want to we want to register another party, we want to participate with another party. We don't have this one. It was taken away. Okay, we want to participate with another party. Have never been allowed to do that in the past four years. And it's really striking because that's that's the kind of uh, thing that's going on in Venezuela sometimes, you know, where the, the rulings go against their opponents in terms of, you know, how, whether they have to register or re-register for elections and whatnot. Uh, mind you, but that's in a completely different context where you actually have a, 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 an opposition movement funded by the world's most powerful state trying to overthrow the government. Moreno doesn't face anything like that. He's just with the support of, of the basically the propaganda organs of the Western uh, states. He's going after his political opponents. And, you know, so we have this this uh, political force that just won 33 percent of the vote in these elections. And they don't really have their own party. I mean, they ran under the banner of the Centro Democratico, but that's not their party. They had a they had to make alliances just to be able to run. In fact, in 2019, when they ran in, in local elections, they had they were with another party, the Fuerza Compromiso Social, uh, it was list number five. So they, they had a switch because prior to these elections, that party was then banned by the authorities for, from being uh, allowed to run. So there's all these barriers uh, in, in, in addition to the, um, the persecution uh, of Korea and his, his followers, there's all these, uh, these uh, barriers that the electoral authorities have thrown up in his way. And, and if you read the, um, you know, like I pointed out, it's like Reuters, New York Times, all of that's been either 
completely when it isn't ignored completely or it's actually spun as evidence of Moreno's uh, sincerity in his battle against corruption. You know, so it's it's very striking. Yeah, no, I, I especially you know if you make the comparison like you said to Venezuela, it's just amazing uh, where you know uh, one of the leaders of the opposition uh, or uh, uh, Leopoldo Lopez was prevented from running for president. Uh, and um, and that's that's being used now basically as the reason for not recognizing Maduro's election in May of 2018. Um, whereas you know this is completely being ignored now. Uh, this uh, near disqualification of Andres Arauz, uh, and uh, and if they could have found some way of doing it, they would have. But in Leopoldo Lopez's case, it was he was clearly involved in an insurrection against the government. Nothing, and you can't say anything like that uh, about Arauz. But uh, let me let's turn to Arauz now. Um, we have actually both interviewed him on several occasions, you for Counterpunch and I for the Real News Network, well before he decided to run for the presidency. Now, um, how, how, do you, how would you say is he being characterized in the US media and what's wrong with uh, that characterization? Well, he's it, to the extent he's being covered at all, he's being covered that uh, as if he were some kind of puppet of Correa's. Um, you know, there have been articles, there's one in The Economist uh, talking about this problem of proxy presidents. If you read between the lines, what they're worried about is the fact that term, the, you know, the, the Western powers have made a big deal about term limits because they don't like popular leaders like, like Chavez, like uh, Correa, um, you know, or Cristina in, in Argentina. They, they don't like the idea of them keep you know winning elections uh, well just like fdr in the in the united states so they want to uh, under the guise of uh strengthening democracy whatever they want to push term limits right it's a way to uh this supposedly that makes our democracy healthier i mean i don't i, don't, I think the arguments against that are terrible but but uh in favor of that sort are terrible but um you know, so they, to the extent they they talk about Arroz, they, they don't say much. They basically just depict him as, uh, you know, as if he were just a puppet of Correa's. But you can already see that there's, he's trying to do a few things differently. And he's, uh, I should say that if you, if you follow Ecuador's media, especially their social media, it's really wild, you know, because uh, they're, they're really going all out trying to convince people that he's stupid. I mean, he's, he's a guy who speaks four languages, who ran the central bank at the age of 24. <laughs> You know, and they were trying, and there are people like I have relatives, and they'll actually tell me, "Oh no, he's a really dumb guy." I'm saying, like, I, I told one of my relatives, I said, "Look, if they can convince you that Arouse is a dumb guy, they'll probably convince you that he's three meters tall and blonde." I mean, they'll convince you of anything because it seems like you'll accept anything they say. So, uh, he's a, he's a brilliant young guy, and you can actually already see he's trying to do some things differently. Um, it looks like, for instance, he's trying to reach out to uh, to, to the Kanai leadership. Uh, who are terrible, in my opinion. Not all of them, but for the most part, pretty pretty reactionary during Correa's time in office. For most of his time in office, and but he's trying to build bridges. He was um, he was involved. Well, specify with, first um, uh, how Kanai is different from Pachacutic, and what it yeah, is. Kanai is yeah, Kanai is a confederation, you know, of indigenous of indigenous uh, movements, and it's kind of so it's kind of a loose confederation in a way. So it's it it's not it's not you know monolithic. But many of the top leaders uh, were, were have been very reactionary over over, over time, and uh, you know they came out. For example, when Korea tried to impo uh, increase taxes on land speculators and, and large inheritances, it would have been only impacted the richest three percent. I mean, he brought this in in 2015. They were they were uh, you know they were they were against that. They were they were they were 
kind of echoing the talking points of the of the right wing media on that. Uh, and during you know also during Moreno's initial years when he was he did this incredible right turn, you know a lot of the Kanai leadership was was right in there with him supporting that. And, and in fact, uh, one of their former vice presidents had to resign from uh, <laughs> resign from Moreno's government when he when he introduced you know, extremely unpopular austerity measures in 2019. But he, he had to delete a tweet where he was first coming out of support of them. You know what I mean? And then he <laughs> then he immediately realized, that, oh my God, no, this is, this is not going to be the this is not the thing to do. And so he, he deleted it and then you know joined the other indigenous leaders and, and and you know very strongly coming out against that. So, but in spite of that, I think I, I see a rose. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, Korea had a very poisoned relationship with the with the. Uh, indigenous leadership, and and because of that, I think that affected his ability to reach out to the to the base, and it's a whole different thing. You know, there's a big difference between the base of a party or even a union movement or anything, and the actual rank and file members. And sometimes there could be quite a drastic difference. So, uh, but the problem is, if your relationship is, is is poisoned with the leadership, you know, you can say, well, how do you reach out to the base then if you're, you know? So yeah, I could see Arouse making moves and trying to be more diplomatic with uh, with, uh, with the Kanai leadership. Now, Kanai is not the only indigenous confederation, but they're the, they're the largest. Um, so I see that as a difference in Arouse. And you can see that even, you know, Arouse was very involved with the Center of Economic and Policy Research in doing the work to expose the fraudulent um, electoral monitoring of the OAS in 2019 in Bolivia. So um, when Evo Real Morales was able to uh, return to Bolivia after the democracy was restored in 2020. He invited Arouse to event an event where he spoke in front of Morales's supporters, a large crowd of supporters, you know, celebrating uh, Evo's return. And he was also there with several Kanai leaders, uh, you know. So he, there was like, and, and, I, and I know from talking to him in the past that he believed that through Evo maybe they could they could at least get a, 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 a some kind of a working relationship. You know, so he's, I see him making moves, and that's that's a, that's a distinction from Korea. And he's also made kind of big. And I want to ask him. I, he he replied to me uh, recently saying he he tried to get back to me for an interview or some brief interview. But I I really want to explore his ideas about uh, how to democratize the uh, the media terrain in Ecuador because I think what uh, Korea did was he basically just said, okay, I'm going to use my platform to balance them, basically. Um, you know, he did other things as well. He tried regular a regulatory approach, you know, uh, but that could be critiqued and sometimes validly on, you know, kind of, you know, free expression grounds, um, you know, even if they were overblown and everything else. But there is there is not it's not like there was no basis for critiquing them either. So it, it sounds like a Rouse wants to do things differently. But I, I would like to get more clarity on that, like what exactly he plans to do differently, because. Uh, as long as he's trying to, to reform media, I think that's a positive thing. But what you don't want to see is uh, kind of uh, any kind of backsliding or, or going easy on the private media because they're they're very vicious. Uh, they're, they're totally against uh, any kind of social reform. So it's it's a it's a it's an important issue. Hmm. I want to turn uh, in a moment actually to more of Arauz's program. But um, before we go there. Uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, there have been concerted efforts actually to derail Arauz's uh, run for the second uh, in the runoff uh, election. Um, I mean, there were already obviously for the first round, but now also for the runoff vote. And talk about what those efforts have been and who's behind them. Yeah, well, right after he won in the... This is shocking. I mean, again, this is blank. Though. I, 
I follow Reuters very closely because I think they're a key, um, you know, if you're a media analyst in, in the West, they're a key um, outlet to follow because their, their reports get reprinted so much all over the place in some form, right? All, so many different outlets, the New York Times, Washington Post, all these big agenda setting media, they'll also, they'll all, often, even the Guardian, they'll often just uh, cut and paste writers or maybe tweak them a little, but so they're, they're really important to follow. And when, when you see from them, uh, when all this happened that uh, <clears throat> Ecuador's prosecutor basically made a big show of meeting with, um, of meeting with her counterpart in Colombia because this uh, this outlet in the uh, in the uh, in Colombia had come out with this report saying that uh, Arroz had been received eighty thousand dollars from the ELN rebels in Colombia, and this was and, and they, so the prosecutors then get involved in making this big show of exchanging information and so you know and saying that they're, they're looking into this so it's all basically an attempt to, to uh, first of all to them to put a cloud under over Arroz to make him look shady and criminal and basically give credence to the to the to these to this report which is already it's been refuted on a, on a, on a bunch of different grounds uh you know it's it's preposterous on its face but it, it's also you know they they for example there was a, an expert in in, in uh in uh in wildlife in birds who who noticed that the one video that was supposedly where the eln uh, uh, person was uh, saying he would, they had given they had referred to comrade or rouse or whatever. It turns out that the birds that uh, this this video was supposedly in Colombia, but the bird that they the expert heard chirping away there could only be found in southern Ecuador. So it was obvious that the that, that the video was was state wasn't what it was was supposed to be. Uh, the, the story basically another thing is they they claimed he received this money was received when he as as at the. Um, conference for progressive international but it's, that that conference was was over the internet it was on it was virtual it was uh you know like we're talking now so it's not like a meetup at a conference you know where you can actually meet up and and do things it was all it was all virtual it just it, it started just it was full full of whole it was obviously just uh a big a big uh hit piece basically and even the reporters who uh who said the story tried to hedge their bets you know they they tried to uh, just say, well, we know, of course, we can't confirm that this is certain. In other words, what they were doing is just recycling allegations, spreading them around and just flinging mud and hoping that it would stick. And then the prosecutors got involved to do the same thing. And that's very menacing because, you know, there was there was chatter on, on the on the social media among the Ecuadorian right wing that, aha, you know, we're going to get he's not even going to be in the second round. You know, he's going to be uh, disqualified. Well, of course, that's that's threatening, given what Moreno has gotten away with. But also just this whole fact that you have the prosecutors, uh, from including Colombia's prosecutor, getting involved in trying to, in trying basically trying to smear a candidate in the middle of an election. You know, uh, again, now this is the kind of thing. If 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 Maduro's government were was doing anything like this, I mean, this is headline news. I mean, decisions that uh, if you follow Reuters, if the CNE in Venezuela just makes an announcement that maybe they'll, you know make a party re-register. I mean, that all right, boom, headline, you know what I mean? <laughs> but all of this stuff that I'm talking about, you look at Reuters, it's not there. I mean, it's just it's just blanked out. They, they basically aren't saying anything. And that to me is very threatening because the less international um, outlets report the facts, uh, the more Moreno's government can get away with. I was personally actually very relieved when about a week before the election, Reuters ran a pretty nondescript article. It, it had a lot of problems, but they did at least concede that Arous was in the lead in, in most polls. I was actually relieved by that because I said, well, it's less likely that I think that, you know, they'll try to pull something really outrageous with the vote count because, uh, 
you know, Moreno's government is very sensitive. Uh, he's been propped up to a large extent by good press around the world. Hmm. Another main uh, element, though, seems to be this also this effort to do a recount of the first round. Now, I understand that that has been abandoned, but what was uh, what was that all about and how would that have uh, affected uh, the, the runoff vote? Yeah, well, uh, Lasso, when the votes finally got tallied up, Lasso ended up with 0.35 of a point, something like very, very close above Yaku Perez. Uh, if you looked at most of the polls, uh, Yaku Perez was only gonna, was only going to get like 13, 14, 15 percent somewhere around there. He ended up getting 19 and, and more. So in some polls, he was like 10 percent. Only one poll that I found that actually had him around 19 percent or so, and even that poll had him like four points behind Lasso. So there was really there was nobody who was really predicting that he would, you know, possibly come in second. Um, so he, he came with a, within a sliver there, within a fraction of a percentage point of coming of coming in second, which would have put him in the second round against against Lasso. So he immediately he immediately cried fraud, and, and Reuters reported the fact that he made fraud allegations and um, you know and that he didn't have evidence. But what the report Reuters didn't tell people was that he actually accused Korea of manipulating the very crew lives in Belgium, who can't even come back to his own country because he'd be arrested. Yaku Perez accused Correa of manipulating the vote count so that he would come in third. Now, you know, like Correa, Correa mocked that on, on, on Twitter saying, well, why didn't I uh, manipulate the vote count so else we just win in the first round? You know? <laughs> but it's, it's preposterous because over the past four years, the, the, uh, the electoral authorities have done nothing but put obstacles in the way, just and come just short. And, and you know, it only it was only by a vote of three to two that Eros was even allowed finally on to run his candidacy at late, in late uh, October, if I don't have the date wrong. It was very late so that he was finally uh, allowed to to run at all. And, you know, it's pretty scandalous by itself because he's the guy who just won the first the first round of the election. He almost didn't qualify for the vote. But uh, they've done so much to suppress the Korea so the last four years. And yet this guy comes out and publicly says that Korea is interfering in the vote count and conspiring with Lasso. You know? And meanwhile, uh, Yaku Perez actually endorsed Lasso in 2017. And then and, and days before the election, because there were some polls, uh, you know, kind of putting a, putting in doubt whether uh, Lasso could come in uh, whether Lasso would come, you know, how Lasso would do. So uh, Lasso said something like, uh, you know, well, if if Yaku Perez does come in second, I totally support him uh, in, in the runoff against the Rouse. So he returned the favor. I mean, uh, Yaku Perez is quite a character. He's a very reactionary character. Um, you know, we could probably talk more about that. But uh, but the bottom line is he made ridiculous uh, statements and, and Reuters just kind of, kind of squelched it, kind of... Uh, Kind of covered it up. He also said that he wouldn't be surprised if there was a recount that Arouse would end up in third place. Again, that's just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, Arouse won the first round by 13 points. Yet here he is saying that no, actually, you know, if we do a recount, Arouse is going to come down to third. You know, it's just just crazy stuff. But this was not, you know, uh, this was not uh, unless you followed events uh, through other, uh, you know, basically in Ecuadorian media or maybe social media, you wouldn't know any of this. I mean. It, just what you get from the international media just doesn't tell you. Yeah, and also it seems that um, Perez um, um, 
received some support from the Organization of American States. Um, what was that all about? I mean, like you mentioned, they were instrumental in uh, in the Bolivian recount situation that or uh, and and the whole debacle there. But um, what was their involvement here in Ecuador? Well, the fact that they're involved anywhere is just is just a scandalous. I mean, after their their fraudulent audit in 2019 in Bolivia in October of 2019, and throughout those crucial months, I mean, that was absolutely crucial to inciting the the coup. And and, and uh, this they were lying from day one, saying that there'd been this uh, drastic, inexplicable change in trend in favor of uh, Morales as the votes came in, and that's just absolutely a lie. Every there's perfectly. Uh, 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 obvious reasons why why as the votes come in sometimes you know the the trend can, can can go a certain way depending where the votes come in for example in ecuador just now lasso was behind perez right and and the, the votes came it came it was days before um lasso uh went into second place and surpassed perez because uh and, and actually correa pointed this out on twitter and that was the basis for uh for Perez saying that, aha, see, uh, Correa was meddling in the vote. Because all, all Correa did was he just looked at where the votes remained to be count, remained to be tallied, and he said, look, they're almost coming, almost all coming in from the coast, and those votes overwhelmingly favor uh, Lasso over Perez. So by his, Correa said, by my estimate, uh, uh, Lasso will squeak ahead of, of Perez when all the votes are counted, and that's exactly what happened, because it was predictable based on you know where the votes are coming from. So very similarly in Bolivia, uh, Morales, Evo Morales' lead increased as the votes came in from his from the areas that were pretended to be counted last, were, were rural areas where his support was was uh, extremely the strongest. So, and there was there was nothing unusual about it. it was obvious, and yet the OAS lied. And they're, they're they are technical. I mean, they have technical people. They they know how elections votes happen. They're not novices. You know, this was this was very evil. This was this was lying. And the Center for Economic and Policy Research was all over them from day one about the fact that they were doing this. And outlets like Reuters covered it up. But um, I think thanks to the mobilizations uh, in, in Bolivia, the, the unity of the movement, they were this, this just couldn't be sustained. And, uh, you know, again, when you saw the, the election in 2020, in October 2020, when Arce won, we saw exactly the same trend that they said was so drastic and inexplicable and everything else, exactly the same kind of trend for Arce. Okay, so I mean, this was just horrible. And again, it, it's scandalous to me that they're involved in an election anywhere. So the fact that they're involved in, in Ecuador's election at all is very worrying to me. Uh, but it looks like um, so. What they did was when you know when, when Lasso creeped ahead of Perez, they decided you know they, Perez cried foul. Uh, you know, he said he'd been robbed. You know, I was in second. Now I'm not. I've been robbed. Correa robbed me of my votes. So uh, they had this big uh, open, uh, it was open to the media, where, where basically the second and the third place finisher sat there. They had like, it was like, a, it was like open negotiations uh, session, but it was also like an anti-Korea rally at the same time. It was very, very weird. And they basically, uh, you know, hashed out, you know, did a lot of grandstanding and, and, uh, uh, hashed out an agreement which lasted you know, between them, which the OAS sat there and, and the electoral authorities sat there and they all kind of came out of there. Supposedly there had been some kind of agreement to do a recount. Uh, and, but then you know, immediately Lasso you know, had second thoughts, put out a statement saying, you know, basically, I don't think this is legal. <laughs> and, uh, and then Perez cried foul, you know, say, and, 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 
and, and then he's organizing a march and Paris said that, um, well, uh, Korea is going to bring in, he's going to watch out because Korea is going to stick his Venezuelans in here to stir up violence. He actually said that, but just extremely xenophobic and stupid. And uh, he's just, he's just a, a lousy character. And uh, yeah, so that's where we are. It's a really, it's a joke. And now the CNE, I guess, I don't know, maybe they, maybe they, they decided that this circus doesn't actually serve their interests. So they, they kind of just kind of, you know, pulled the plug on the circus and said, okay, you know what, we're going to announce the results in a few days. And I think maybe they might have got some, some, some talking to from Washington or maybe the OAS because a week before the election, Moreno goes to Washington uh, and, and meets with Almagro and, uh, and uh, Biden's people are in, in, in the Washington. That's, again, very alarming. Um, and uh, so maybe they decided, you know, the, to end the circus, and uh, at least for now. And so now they're going to just, uh, within a day or two, announce the, the official results, which I, looks like it'll probably be Lasso going to the, to the runoff. All right. Now, I want to turn to um, Arauz's candidacy. I mean, basically what he stands for. I mean, uh, who, who is he and uh, what, uh, as far as you can tell, what does he hope to achieve if he were to win the April 11 runoff election? I, I think he, he from where everything he says, uh, and having talked to him for you know years before he was even on the radar, yeah, I never when I interviewed him, you know, it was he was very easy to get a hold of <laughs> because he was just uh, although he was a pretty high-ranking official, he had been head of the central bank, he had minister of uh, he had been minister of uh, human talent and knowledge. He'd basically been part of the basically part of the economic team of Korea's and a key part of it since he was uh, very young. He just turned thirty-six a day before the a, a day before the uh, the election. So, he, but for ten years he's been part of of uh, Korea's um, economic team. So he's a very, very, uh, a, a extremely accomplished uh, young man. He speaks four different languages. Uh, you know, he speaks Russian, French, English. And he speaks English very well. I, I was actually the first two times I interviewed him. I interviewed him in Spanish. I didn't, I didn't realize he spoke English so well. It would have been easier for me if I just done the interview in English because <laughs> then I transcribed it all. But the third one, I finally, I really, oh my God, he speaks great English. Okay, I'm just going to interview him in English. <laughs> so I did that. Um, but he's, uh, I think from, from what he says, he basically wants to do Correa's program, but he wants to do, he wants to do it. I think wants thinks he can do better. He thinks he can correct uh, things that were wrong. I already mentioned, he seems like he wants to have a better, at least a, 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 a not a hostile relationship with Kanai leadership. Uh, and uh, he seems like he he doesn't he's made like uh, somewhat vague comments about uh, maybe not uh, having a, a different 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 relationship or a different approach to um, uh, mass media. Although he's also talked a lot about you know he wants um, he wants to guarantee people access to internet basic access to internet. And if you think about it, that's all could also gonna, that could potentially help people also broaden their access, especially the the most marginalized people, to just uh, potentially wider points of view as well. Um, so, it, so it's it's. But I would like to ask. I would like to investigate that because I think that's crucial too. Because I think there there has to be. All, I don't think any of the left governments, in my opinion, in Latin America in this 21st century, ever really figured out how to deal with the with the fact that they have extremely hostile media. You know, because um, so. But that would be worth exploring. But in terms of basic ec the economic approach, I think it's going to be basically he's. A, he, going to be like Correa's, you know, he's strong, he's going to main, maintain dollarization. Uh, you know, once you're in it, you getting out of it is not, it's, it's just, it's just almost impossible unless you have, you know, 
something that's just not going to happen realistically anytime soon. So basically, they're they're going to have to they're committed to the dollar as was Korea and as is a rose. Um, he's, but he, he's going to maintain the same basic macroeconomic approach. Uh, I think it, there's there's obviously there's going to be some difference in those those other areas, though he he's made clear he's going to be a little different. And you see the same thing with Arce and, and Evo Morales. You know, you see there's there's some differences, right? So uh, there's always going to be some differences. And uh, but I I, I think um, I think the, given the fact that um, Arroz was a uh, a Korea supporter when it was difficult to be, uh, it, it, I think that's that's an encouraging sign because uh, I, you know if you think about it, Moreno. Uh, he, he won his, his election in 2017. He jumped on Korea's 10 years in office. But uh, he was never a person who was involved really with the econo- economy. He was more like a, like a like an ambassador for the Citizens Revolution kind of. And, and Arosa and I talked about this uh, in our first interviews. He's always kind of uh, a very conciliatory uh, figure who didn't want to confront anybody or uh, make any enemies. Basically because he didn't, and largely because he did not get involved with uh the economic policy, unlike Jorge Glass, who was very deeply involved in the, uh, you know, the strategic, uh, um, you know, industries they were trying to develop, and that also, you know, made him more enemies, you know, because then now you're you're involved with contracts and you're involved with much more with money, basically. So, uh, so that's a difference. So I think it's it's going to be pretty much the same, but as Korea, but with a with a different approach on, on some areas. Maybe his he seems to be less uh, less less eager to to antagonize, mock <laughs> his opponents than Korea was. Korea was very much a respondent kind, you know, kind of like Chavez from what we gather, you know. Okay, well, uh, we're going to leave it there for now. Um, but uh, you know, maybe we'll come back again after the election and see how things turn out. I was speaking to Joe Emersberger, Canadian writer and analyst on Latin America. Thanks again, Joe, for having joined me today. Oh, thank you very much, Greg. Appreciate it. And thank you to our listeners and viewers for tuning in to TheAnalysis.News. Please don't forget to support our work by heading to TheAnalysis.News website and making a donation. (laughs) 